Would you take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 145? Psalm 145. Psalm 146, Psalm 145 are two similar psalms that draw our attention to the greatness of our God and the praise that He is due. Before we study this psalm this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we confess that Your name is great. It is worthy of our praise. This morning we seek to magnify Your name and extol Your name to focus our attention on the fame and renown that You are worthy of. You are righteous and You are gracious. This morning as we look at Your Word, we want You to receive all the praise and the honor and the glory. You are worthy of an infinite amount of that. Cause our hearts to be at full capacity praising You this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes something truly great? Think for a minute about baseball and a baseball player. In order to be a great baseball player, we would consider a great baseball player someone who hits the ball in play four out of ten times. And maybe not just does that for one game, but maybe does it over not just one season, over several seasons, but does that for an extended period of time. Ten years, fifteen years. We would say that baseball player had a great career. Think about a famous musician like Johann Sebastian Bach. What makes him a great musician? Well, he didn't just write one great piece of music. He wrote many great pieces of music, many of which are still played today. We we look at Bach and we say he was a great composer. Think of a military leader like Alexander the great. Someone who conquers and reigns over this vast dominion, but yet he died in his 30s. We still look at him and we say, he's a great military leader. Maybe you don't have those levels of greatness. Maybe kids, you got a great grade on a project that you did at school. You did a great job. Maybe as we prepare to celebrate the 4th of July, there is a food dish that you are hoping will be at your barbecue or outdoor event because it is a great-tasting dish. Our society calls everything great. Everything is great. Everything is awesome. You ask somebody, how are you doing? And they say, I'm doing great. But the true greatness of something is typically connected with its lasting impact with its longevity, with its duration. In all the situations that we encounter in this life, greatness is bound by the limits of our existence. A baseball player can't hit the ball an infinite number of times because he's only going to have a finite number of at-bats. Bach is not going to create an infinite amount of music because he's only capable of creating so much music. So our ideas of greatness are limited. However, in Psalm 145, David seeks to enlarge our understanding of God's greatness. He draws our attention to the reality that God's greatness lasts forever. It's not that we're looking back on something that He did. God's greatness is not limited in magnitude or confined by the limits of time and space. In fact, 
God has always been great. He's great right now. And He will continue to be great forever and ever. God, unlike Michael Jordan, or unlike Johann Sebastian Bach, will never know an end to His greatness. David's goal here is to call the people to remember God's greatness. Not just in a detached, emotionless way, but in a vibrant, reverent, vocal way. In a vivid way. Not just an academic way. In a worshipful way. So as we look at Psalm 145 this morning, the title of the message is True Greatness Evokes True Worship. True Greatness Evokes True Worship. Look at Psalm 145 with me and let's read it in its entirety. Psalm 145 beginning at verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. As we consider this psalm, the central idea of our text is that our praise and worship of God is fueled by the inexhaustible fountain of God's greatness. Our praise and worship of God is fueled by the inexhaustible fountain of God's greatness. We'll see this in several ways as we work through the text this morning. Notice first with me, if you would, the personal and corporate praise that we see in verses 1-7. through Verses 1-7, through we see personal and corporate praise. This psalm is filled with verbal verbs. Just in the first seven verses, there are 11 times where we see these verbs used. Look at, look at the first seven verses with me. In verse 1, we see, I will extol you. I will bless your name. Verse 2, I will bless you. I will praise your name. Verse 3, he, the Lord is greatly to be praised. 
Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your acts. Verse 6, men shall speak of God's mighty, awesome acts. He, they will declare His greatness. Verse 7, they shall utter the memory of your great goodness and they will sing of your righteousness. This psalm is filled with verbal verbs. And all throughout this, David is stretching the human language to try and capture the greatness of God and the greatness of the worship that this great God deserves. David is is not just content with blessing the Lord. He's not just content with praising the Lord. He wants to extol God. He wants to bless Him and praise Him and declare everything about God that He has done. This is not a whisper session of praise. This is shouting from the rooftops praise. Notice what David focuses on about God in these verses. Verse 1, he says that God is the eternal King. God rules. He reigns. He is King. Spurgeon wrote this, The Lord's royalty awakens our loyalty. And our spirit is moved to magnify His majesty. When we see God as King, that is that He is seated above us and reigns over us, it ought to awaken our loyalty. And David here writes, I will extol you, my God, O King. He is not just somebody else's king. David realizes that God is his king. Second thing that David focuses on is that God's name is worthy of blessing and praising. We see that in the first two verses. It will bless your name forever and ever. I will praise your name forever and ever. God's name has a spotless reputation. It is renowned in the world and David wants to call attention to it. It's worthy of praise. David also focuses on God's greatness and and how it is too great to to fathom. It is incapable of being searched. Look in verse 3. God's greatness is unsearchable. There's been a lot of conversation this week about the Mariana Trench and how much deeper that is than the 12,000 feet where the Titanic is resting. As unsearchable as the Mariana Trench is, God's greatness is so much more unsearchable than that vast depth of sea. David focuses our attention on God's awesome or terrible actions and deeds. He praises them. These are acts of power. These are acts of might. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, verse 5, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. Think with me through the Old Testament of all of the mighty, terrible acts that the people of Israel would have to reflect on. The parting of the Red Sea. The demolition of Jericho. The deliverance of the people of God by the hand of Gideon from the Midianites. And many, many more examples throughout the Old Testament. These are acts of God that are awesome. And they're worthy of being praised. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. 
They are praiseworthy in verse, at the end of verse 6. I will declare your greatness. This isn't just something that I will whisper to others about. These are things that I want to speak loudly about. David also draws our attention to God's goodness and righteousness in verse 7. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. They shall sing of your righteousness. It might be odd to us that David would sing of God's righteousness. I mean, of all of the things that we could sing about God, why does David say that the people shall sing of God's righteousness? While the righteousness of God may be a terror to the sinner, the righteousness of God is the cause and provision of our salvation. That's why David sings about it. Because the righteousness of God is the cause and provision of our salvation. So David says he will sing of God's righteousness. Spurgeon again notes, Oh, that there were more of these memories and utterances. For it is not meet that the goodness of the living God should be buried in the cemetery of silence, in the grave of ingratitude. God is so good, and yet... His people are often so silent about His goodness. David does not want that to be so. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. They shall sing of your righteousness. As David is praising God, and and again, there is that personal aspect, I will extol, I will bless. But there's also the corporate aspect. Men shall speak, they shall utter. Verse 4, one generation shall praise. There's several things that stick out in how they do that. It's reverent. There's an expression in verse 1 of inferiority to the person that they are addressing. I will extol you, my God. Not my buddy. Not my peer. O King. There's not a a same plane relationship here. David is reverently and respectfully addressing God because he is so much greater than David. Think of David. David was himself a king. But he addresses God as his king. Second thing that sticks out about how they praise the name of God is it's personal. He doesn't just say, I will extol you, O God. He says, I will extol you, my God. God is a relational God to His people. And so the way they praise Him is personal. They praise Him constantly. Verse 2, every day I will bless you. Both verses 1 and 2 end with praising God forever and ever. It's intergenerational how they praise God. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another. This is not just something that's confined to 15 or 20 years of greatness and then it'll fall off the table and you're never going to think about it again. No, one generation shall declare, shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. This is not like MySpace that was around and it was a big deal and it was great and now nobody talks about it. Nobody remembers it. Some of you are scratching your head thinking to yourself, MySpace? What in the world was MySpace? God's greatness is not like the greatness of that. It's something that gets passed on. It's something that gets talked about from multiple generations on down. 
David doesn't just praise God from an empty emotionalism, though. He ponders deeply in verse 5. He says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. God's splendor, His glory, His majesty as King and as God caused David to step back and ponder deeply. To think carefully. To reflect intentionally. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, and I were to give you a blank piece of paper to rehearse the attributes and the goodnesses and the greatness of God, how many pieces of paper would you need before you exhausted your supply, your ability to praise God for His goodness and greatness in your life? He has been infinitely good to you through all of your days. How many pieces of paper would it take for you to exhaust your ability to praise God? As we think through this application for for our praise as a corporate whole, as a church, when we gather on Sundays to sing together, do you view this as a vital part of our time at church? Or is it just something that you endure? It doesn't matter if if you come in a little late because, eh, singing's not really that big of a deal. I just came so I could hear the sermon. This, these seven verses challenge that. There needs to be a verbal component to our praise and adoration and extolling of the greatness of God. And we do that together when we gather here at church on Sunday morning and we sing about God's righteousness and we sing about His greatness. William Plummer wrote this, Unless we have great thoughts of God, our thoughts of sin will be low our sense of obligation feeble, and our praises dull. Could it be that singing on Sundays is an indication that we don't really understand how great God is? That we don't have a very vivid sense of how great our God is? Our thoughts of sin are low. Our sense of obligation is feeble. May God help us, church family, that may, when we gather, that we may sing vocally. May we sing verbally and, and fervently to our great God. Maybe you have no problem singing on Sundays, but you struggle with praising God the other six days of the week. We ought to have our minds preoccupied with God's greatness and goodness as we go throughout our day. Moms and dads, how can you live this out with your kids each day? How can you draw their attention to the greatness of God throughout the day, whether it's at lunchtime, whether it's in the afternoon, whether it's in the morning? Single brother or sister, how can you use your commute or the silence of your house to sing praises to God each day? You have a distinct advantage because you can sing out loud and nobody's going to judge you. Many of you that commute to work, if you have your windows up, you can, you can sing at the top of your lungs and you can do what Psalm 145 is calling us to do and you can just proclaim the greatness of God as you're sitting in traffic on I-76. Praise the name of God. Let, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, brother and sister in Christ. Let's be joyful as we praise and bless the name of the Lord. Let's encourage one another in this task. When we see one another on Sunday, let us encourage one another to praise the name of our great God. 
And in verses 8 to 13, we see not only that there is this personal and corporate praise, David directs our attention to what the Lord is. In verses 8 to 13, we see that the Lord is gracious and good. The Lord is gracious and good. David turns our attention to the action of praising God, to consider the motive for praising God. Why exactly would we praise God? I mean, yes, He's great, but what about His greatness is worthy of our praise? Well, He is gracious and good. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. The rest of what David describes in in verses 10 through the end of the psalm build off of what we see there in verses 8 and 9. As we look at verse 8, verse 8 ought to bring to our mind Exodus 34. When God comes before Moses, the Lord passes before him. Exodus 34, 6 says, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what do we mean exactly when we say that the Lord is gracious and good? When David writes, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, what exactly does he mean? He treats his creation with kindness. He treats his subjects with consideration. He treats his saints with favor. The Lord is kind. He is tender and approachable. Not only is he gracious, but he is full of compassion. In other words, God God not only feels for the vulnerable and hurting, he feels with the vulnerable and hurting. He doesn't just look at your situation and say, oh man, that's a real bummer. He feels the pain and the agony of the situation that you go through. He is full of compassion. The Lord is gracious also in that He is slow to anger and great in mercy, verse 8 concludes. God's fierce wrath towards sin is tempered and held back, as it were, by the greatness of the mercy that He shows to His creation. So He is gracious He shows favor to His creation. He shows kindness to them. Not only that, but God is good. And He is good to all. God doesn't discriminate in demonstrating His goodness. The Lord is good to everyone, from King David, a man after God's own heart, to the fiercest of His enemies. Consider that God gives life, food, water, wealth to the religious leaders that crucify His Son. Not even God's enemies can reject the fact that God is good. Accompanying His goodness to all is His tender mercies in all His actions. We see that at the end of verse 9. His tender mercies are over all His works. So what happens as a result of that? In verses 10 through 13, All your works shall praise you, O Lord. Your saints shall bless you. They'll speak of how great of a kingdom you have. They're going to talk of your power. They're going to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts, the majesty of your kingdom, and the fact that your kingdom isn't going anywhere in verse 13. God's graciousness and goodness are causes for praise and blessing. 
The Lord is a good King. He is a gracious King. He is an everlasting King whose dominion endures throughout all generations. They evoke more praise and blessing. His gracious and goodness cause more praise and blessing. They enlarge His fame and glory among the people. Friends, the grace of God in our lives is cause for us to stop and praise the Lord. Everything we have is all of grace. Everything we hope to be is all of grace. God doesn't just shower us with grace. He downpours us with grace. How aware are we of our need for grace? How often do we take God's grace for granted, both in the big things and the little things in life? May God help us to not mindlessly wander through this life unaware of God's grace in our life. God is gracious and good. And notice that He has been, He is currently, and He always will be. The Lord is these things. Thirdly, in verses 14 through 20, we see the Lord is righteous and restorative. The Lord is righteous and restorative. On the one hand, verse 13 gives us this elevated, majestic, transcendent view of God. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. He's the king who rules over all. His kingdom lasts forever, his rule through all generations. But notice the unexpected contrast in verse 14. This glorious king condescends willingly to lift up and hold up all who have fallen down or are downtrodden. What an amazing contrast that this king who rules over all stoops down and upholds all who fall. That He raises up all who are bowed down. Not just some who fall or some who are bowed down, but all who fall. All who are bowed down. Verses 15-16 to elaborate on His condescension to help those in need. Look at those verses. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them all their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Consider the generosity and care of God that David draws our attention to. God is not closed-handed in who He provides for or how He provides for them. He is open-handed. Matthew 5.45 highlights this when Jesus points to the fact that the Father causes the sun and rain to come upon both the just and the unjust. Think of how God satisfies the desires of those who work in construction. How He satisfies the desires of those who work in agriculture or in business or in the medical field or in athletics. God is open-handed in giving blessings to all. This is cause for us to praise the name of the Lord. He is worthy of praise. But it's important for us to remember that God is not imbalanced in any way. That He is fully, perfectly, and infinitely gracious and good. Yes, however, in these verses, our attention is drawn to the fact that God is fully, perfectly, and infinitely righteous. 
God will never act in any way that is morally questionable. No one will ever be able to question the rightness of God's character, of His motives or actions. We tend to think of God's righteousness and think of it in maybe a negative way. But as we've already seen in verse 7, that is cause, God's righteousness is cause for David to sing praises to God. And notice how he couples this. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. Righteousness and grace are not at odds with each other. They are partners with one another. He's righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. They work in harmony in restoring all who fall or call upon Him. Notice, though, how the scope of the all language tightens in verses 17-20. through The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all, but the all there is all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth, tighter. Verse 19, He'll fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will hear their cry and save them. We get to verse 20, and the Lord preserves all, and the all there is all who love Him. But all the wicked He will destroy. While God satisfies the desires of every living thing, He is near to all who call upon Him. Specifically, those who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. And ultimately, in verse 19, He hears their cry and saves them. Verses 18 and 19 intensify and limit the general grace that we saw in verses 14 to 16. Because on the one hand, God does provide generously for all. However, to those who fear Him and call upon Him in truth, He offers a deeper satisfaction and fulfillment. He says in verse 19, He will hear their cry and save them. The distinction then becomes crystal clear in verse 20. All who love the Lord are preserved. All who are wicked, the Lord will destroy. There are different destinies for different characters. Friend, if you've never turned from your sin to trust in Christ for salvation, don't be lulled into eternal damnation by the good gifts and grace of God in your life now. Just because your business is flourishing and your family is great, but you've never trusted in Christ for salvation does not mean that you will never see eternal damnation and separation from Him. You need to be saved from your sin and future judgment. So do what verse 18 calls us to. Call upon Him in truth. Call upon Him. He will hear your cry and save you. The God who is rich in mercy and compassion is the one who is offering this to you. He is not closed-handed in His expression of His grace and goodness and righteousness. He is open-handed. Come to Him and accept His gift of salvation. Church, we can rejoice that our Savior was numbered with the transgressors. He, he, was, he was counted as the wicked. It was the will of the Father to crush Him. He bore our destruction so that we might be saved by the grace and the righteousness of God and preserved to be with our great God for eternity. Friends, again, this is cause for us to praise the name of God. 
And that brings us to verse 21. Verse 21, we see that there is eternal and effusive praise. Eternal and effusive praise. Verse 21 ends the psalm with a return back to worship. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Individual praise suggests the desire for universal praise. David just doesn't want to be singing a solo here. He wants to start singing and he's expecting the rest of the people of Israel to join in singing with him. David resolves to speak the praise of the Lord. Worship is demonstrative. You, you, you don't just worship by whispering to yourself. When you consider the greatness of the Lord, how can you whisper praise to Him? When you consider the ways that God has been righteous and gracious to you, how can we come to church and be underwhelmed by God? Brother and sister in Christ, the greatness of our God deserves great worship. Our great God deserves great worship, both in fervor and in duration. We don't just need 30 seconds of shouting at the top of our lungs and that's enough. No, 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 no. We, we, could, we could start singing now and sing to the end of our lives and never stop and we would never approach the level of which God is worthy of our praise. That is why we sing as much as we do in this service. Why do we sing five or six songs? I mean, it just goes on. No, 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 no. Brothers and sisters, this is an opportunity for us to express our praise and adoration of God in a fervent and extended period of time. We want to encourage one another to have a lofty view of God. We want to praise Him for His amazing grace. Verse 21 also gives us this eternal dimension to praising God. This is both a command and a future reality. All flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. All flesh is, must, praise the Lord. But this is also looking ahead to the future. Because on the one hand, God is great enough to warrant all flesh blessing His holy name forever and ever. That is a reality. But we are looking ahead to a time, and Philippians 2 points us to this time, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what are they going to do? They're going to confess the greatness of God. They're going to bless the name of the Lord. They're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Consider this though, even in the forever and ever, we will never fully and sufficiently bless the name of the Lord. We're never going to get to a point in heaven where we get to the end and start over. There will always be new things. There will always be more things for us to praise the name of the Lord for because His greatness is unsearchable. Joseph Addison, an early 18th century English poet, wrote this, Through all eternity to thee, a joyful song I'll raise. For, O oh, eternity's too short to utter all thy praise. Eternity is too short to utter all of the praise that God is worthy and due. The great hymn, The Love of God is Greater Far, says this in the third stanza, Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? 
to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's how much praise our God is worthy of. Think back to last week in that portrait that Micah presented in Micah 7, 18-20. Think about how God upheld His people in Micah's day. How the Lord dealt with His people righteously, not sparing them from judgment. He didn't brush their transgression under the rug, but He did deal graciously with them. He delivered them from their captors. Think about how God has upheld us in these last days. How He has shown us grace. What things have you enjoyed that are gifts of His grace? When have you been bowed down with discouragement and He has encouraged you and raised you up? Think of how slow to anger He has been with you this last week. The ways that you turned from Him, yet He has showed you compassion and mercy through Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, do you ever get bored with praising the Lord? Does singing to Him ever weary you? Do you find it hard to praise the Lord outside of church on Sunday? Look to Christ. Pray and ask Him to help you see Him afresh in a clearer and deeper way in His Word so that you might never cease to praise Him throughout your life. Whether you're at a job site tomorrow, or you're discipling your kids at home on Tuesday, whether you're at your desk on Thursday, whether you're stuck in traffic again, whether you're on vacation with your family, or you're working mandatory overtime, remember, God is worthy of your praise. He is doing a multitude of things for you in that moment that ought to cause you to praise the Lord. Saints, let's be eager to remember our great God and worship Him together. Let's pray. Lord, You are immensely good and immensely immensely great. We confess that the compassion and love that You have shown us this week is all grace. And we ask You, Holy Spirit, that You will come and awaken our hearts. Help us to praise You more. To not be quick to stop praising You. But fill our hearts with thanksgiving that daily, constantly, persistently throughout the day, we might sing Your praises for, Lord, You are worthy of them. Give us strength for this task. Fill our hearts with gladness. Help us to rejoice in You always. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.